This quote by J.C. Ryle was over 100 years ago. Sincerity and earnestness are becoming the idol of many Christians today. People seem to think it matters little what opinions a man holds in religion so long as he's earnest and sincere. And you are thought uncharitable if you doubt his soundness in the faith. Though that was written over 100 years ago, I think that is still very pertinent today to many attitudes that exist in the area of religion. One fellow made the observation about all the differences that take place in the religious world. And so his conclusion was, I'd rather be sincere than right. Well, maybe that's not what we want either. Truth, truth is singular. It's not complex. And truth is objective. Sincerity is subjective. It's not one or the other. It is truth and sincerity. It is not truth by itself. It is not sincerity by itself. It is truth and sincerity. But when we take the disposition that sincerity over right is what our standard is going to be, I think that challenges us in two distinct areas. First of all, sincerity is not enough because of the deceptive nature of false teaching. Sincerity is not enough because of the deceptive nature of false teaching. In fact, Peter will warn and Jude will warn that there'll be some who will creep in unawares. Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 regarding the destruction of Jerusalem warned them that they be not deceived. Well, if sincerity is the only measure or standard of measure, then we're subject to be tossed to and fro. And Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3 that the reason we try to attain to measure the stature of the fullness of Christ is that we, like, be not, that we be not like children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And the second thing is, sincerity is not enough because of our weak nature regarding our own reasoning. I have told you before, I am directionally challenged. Siri has become my best friend in traveling. Because when I would go to hold a meeting somewhere, and somebody would hand me a map that was drawn out, and it said, go east two miles, take a right, go north three miles, take a left, go south four miles. I thought that would be really nice if I knew which direction was north, south, east, and west. I would tell them, don't give me south and west, give me directions, left or right. I know my left from my right, and I can follow that. But I don't know how many times, I don't know how many times I've been traveling along in my heart, sincerely thinking, I was headed in the right direction only an hour later to discover I was going in the wrong direction. Why? Because there was nothing objective by which I was measuring it. And we also have to, have to acknowledge this. There were some really smart, intelligent, highly educated people in the Bible who thought they were sincerely right, but discovered they were wrong. 1 Kings chapter 13 is such a story. 
in the first part of chapter 13, it says, Behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel. By the word of the Lord and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn the incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you he shall sacrifice the priest of the high places who burn incense on you and men's bones shall burn on you. And the young prophet continued. But God had warned the young prophet, when you return, in fact, turn at what he says in verse 11. Now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went who came from Judah. Then he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. So he saddled the donkey for him and he rode on it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? He said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you nor go in with you. Neither can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water, nor return by going the way you came. He said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. An angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. And in parenthesis it says, he was lying to him. An angel of the Lord had not spoken to that old prophet. Here's this young prophet who had acquitted himself to do, to perform the responsibility that God had asked him to do. He goes and he curses Bethel and he curses the house of Jeroboam. This old prophet in whom now this young man places some confidence could say, I sincerely thought this old prophet would guide me in the proper way. He's an older prophet. Who else can you trust if you can't trust an older prophet? I'm a young prophet. He's an older prophet. Surely I can trust him. He said, an angel came to me. The young man went with the old prophet. And in the end, it cost him his life. Can't you see that young prophet could easily say, but God, I sincerely thought he was right because he was an older prophet. I thought, in our own reasoning, I thought I could trust him, but he was lying. Do you remember Paul, what Paul told the Galatians? It had just been a year since Paul had, had revealed himself to them. He said, though another apostle or an angel of God comes in and speaks something contrary than I delivered to you, let it be anathema. If another apostle or an angel comes and speaks, let it be anathema. Don't be deceived by their sincerity. Don't be deceived by what they're saying. If it is different, you see what Paul said was the standard. What Paul said was the objective revealed truth. If it's different than the objective revealed truth, don't accept it. Let it be accursed. And so, 
Sincerity is not enough because it makes us subject to false teaching and it makes us subject to the fallacy of our own human reasoning. This morning's lesson is really basic. I don't apologize for it. I think it's something we need to be reminded of along the way. And so there are five things I want to share with you and then two anecdotes at the end and then we'll be done. First of all, when sincerity is not enough, sincere faith is not enough. When sincerity is not enough, sincere faith is not enough. Now, that does sound a little odd to us, doesn't it? Because what's the one thing that we put all of our, all of our eggs in the basket in? What's the one thing we push to the center? Our faith in God. But do you remember how many people in the Bible said they believed but because, John 12, verse 42, they feared being put out of the synagogue, they did not follow him. A good case study for this. A man that is sincere in his faith. He's not a thug. He's not indifferent. He is zealous. He's zealous for God. He sincerely thinks the faith He's placed himself in God is a correct faith to have. His name was Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus understood the law. The old law said if a man dies on a tree, he is accursed. And this one called the Christ died on a tree, therefore he must be accursed. And if he is accursed, then those of the way. That's how God's people were described at one time. Those of the way. Those of the way that are following him must also be accursed. And therefore, he thought it his sincere responsibility to put to death, to persecute those who were opposing the law. Paul was smart. He was highly educated Extra biblical information will tell us that it's very possible he came from a very, very wealthy family. He was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. If there was a teacher among the rabbis that was a rabbi of rabbis, that was Gamaliel. You could not get any higher in the hierarchy than Gamaliel. Paul had excelled as a Pharisee. And he sincerely thought what he was doing was right. But he discovered in a very, very stark kind of way how wrong he was. Because he was told to go into Damascus. That would be told him three days later what he must do. His sincere faith was not enough. When sincerity is not enough, sincere prayers are not enough. Let's stay right with that man. Saul of Tarsus goes into Damascus. I found this interesting. If Saul of Tarsus is lost, then why did God allow three days to pass before Ananias comes and speaks to him and says to him, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins? I can't answer that. But here's one case in which a man saw the Christ and God said, you're going to wait for three days 
and his praying for three days didn't save him. It wasn't enough. Because he still needed Ananias come to come and tell him words whereby he could be saved. And he did answer the call. He did arise. And he was baptized. There's not a single incident in all the New Testament where prayer alone was enough to provide a remedy for lost man's sins. Please notice how I said that. There was not a re- prayer is not a remedy for the man who has never been in fellowship with God to remit his sins. I said it that way because of this. For the person who has initiated fellowship with God by having been baptized for the mission of their sins, that prayer is significant. Because in 1 John chapter 1, and verse 7, he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sins. Let no man say, I have no sins. Why? Because all men have sinned, and to say, I have no sins, is make God a liar. But what you do is you confess and pray to God for the forgiveness of those sins. And we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our world because he died for us. The one who has come into fellowship with God has a plan of salvation as well. Now prayer has something significant. But regarding initial fellowship with God, there's not a single incident in all the Bible where prayer was sufficient to provide for man's sins to be washed away. In Isaiah chapter 1, in Isaiah chapter 1, it's interesting to me that when you look at the prophets, how many times they, they sought to appeal to God. But notice Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 15. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 15. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Their prayers were enough. This is what God said. Wash yourself. Make yourself clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before your eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. And plead for the widow. He said, all your prayers are of no avail to me. My ears are closed. Jeremiah will have this same thing. Ezekiel will have the same kind of thing. Where God will not hear the prayers because of the sins of the people. Prayer was not enough, sincere though they may have been. And that introduces a third thing. When sincerity is not enough, hearing is not enough. Turn to James chapter 1. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And look at verses, begin begin in verse 21. James chapter 1 verse 21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. 
But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in his deed. If anyone among you thinks himself to be religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is vain. If anyone, th- if anyone thinks himself to be religious by simply being a hearer and not a doer of the word, he said, this man's religion is in vain. I love the way the Bible just paints pictures for us. Word pictures that we can really appreciate. And we can all identify with the imagery that is given here. For he who observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was, what does he do? He is like the man who looks at a mirror and then walks away and does nothing. What good does it do to look into a mirror If looking into the mirror, we're not going to adjust the things we see that are not arranged properly. I love the way D used to illustrate this. In which someone would tell him, you know, you have some butter right here on on the side of your mouth. And he'd look in the mirror and say, yep, sure is. And walk away and do nothing about it. Then what good does it do to have someone tell you, what your flaw is if, I'm going to, if we're going to do nothing about it. What good does it do to be a hearer of the word if we're living in sin and we're going to do nothing about it? What good does it do to have an idol identified if we hear about it and going to do nothing about it? What good does it do to hear about our missteps in life if hearing that we're going to do nothing about it? It's not the man that hears that's blessed. It's the man that hears and does. Jesus will illustrate this in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 24. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Therefore he who hears these sayings of mine and does them. Did you get that? He who hears these sayings of mine and does them. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended. The floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall. Why? For it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them would be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. Pause. Let's let's put that sincere man for that man who hears. But everyone who is sincere regarding these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on the house. And it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his saying, saying this. He taught them as one having authority not as the scribes. He taught them not as one who's sincere, alone, but as one having authority. He was the representation of the authority of heaven. His his words were the standard. It does us no good to hear, to look into the mirror of God's word and seeing our own imperfections, honestly examine that see our honest imperfections, and walk away and do nothing about it. If I know I'm living in sin, and I look into the mirror of God's Word, and I hear what God's Word says about the works of the flesh that will condemn me, and I walk away and do nothing about it, 
then why am I looking into the mirror of God's Word? Simply hearing is not enough. And then look at a fourth thing. Sincere worship is also not enough. In Matthew chapter 7, again, this time look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If someone is going to prophesy, cast out demons, and do many wonders in the name of the Lord, wouldn't you think that would be sincere? But notice verse 21. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of the Lord. If in our worship, we simply look at our worship from the standpoint of that which is exciting and that which is moving, which it ought to be, sincerity ought to be a part of that. Emotion ought to be a part of that. But it is not, it is not following the will of God. No matter how exciting and sincere it is, the Lord is going to say, I never knew you. You know, in the beginning I quoted that man who said, because of all the differences, I'd rather be sincere than right. That's how a lot of people judge churches today. A lot of people judge churches by that subjective kind of emotion as well. They don't ask, what kind of teaching takes place? The teaching that takes place there, is it, is it founded upon the authority of the Word of God? The works that a church does, are those works an outgrowth of the Word of God? The means of salvation that is taught... Are those the things that are found in the Word of God? The organization of the church, are those the things found in the Word of God? Occasionally, we'll have visitors come in, and thankfully so, who are saying, I'm just looking for my new church home. And I'm looking for something that is exciting and something that will move me. Terry had a study recently with a lady who had been visiting with us for some time. Invested a lot of time and energy in the lady. And she seemed sincere until it finally got down to where the crux of the matter was. Are you going to be a doer of the will of God? And she simply said, I just want to go where I'll be accepted for who I am. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And then, finally, in this particular part, sincere good works are not enough. If you're tuned to Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, to me this man named Cornelius is just a great illustration of this point. Listen to how this man is described beginning in verse 1, Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion who was called who was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man 
one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to, his, to, the, to the people and prayed to God always. Can you describe a more sincere man than that? Can you describe a man that's doing good works better than that? In fact, Cornelius is described better than, and I'm talking about myself, I'm looking in a mirror here, maybe better than what some of us are described. Are we as devout as Cornelius was? Are we as giving of our means as Cornelius was? Are we praying as, as fervently as Cornelius was? I mean, Cornelius is a good guy to kind of measure yourself by, except for the fact he still needed words whereby he could be instructed to be saved. Simply being, simply being sincere, doing good works was not enough. Look down at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to say a few things. Jump over to chapter, chapter 11 and look at verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon us and as at the be- fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the words of the Lord, how he had said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us, when we believed on the Lord Jesus, who was I that I should withstand it? When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God because they have been granted life. The Gentiles have been, been granted repentance to life just as we. Peter had to teach words. He still had to teach the word of God. Simply doing good works. And simply being a good person. Was not enough. Now when we think about this idea of sincerity. Before we look at the final two things. I want to ask us something. What other area of life do we accept sincerity only? What other area of life are we going to accept sincerity as the standard by which we're going to operate? If you go to a pharmacist and you hand the pharmacist your prescription or if your doctor has fast-checked it over the digital line, and you get there, and the prescription's there, and it's there waiting on you. You want that pharmacist to know what the pharmacist is doing, don't you? That pharmacist has standards. But which that pharmacist must fill that prescription. Do y'all remember the movie, uh, It's a Wonderful Life? Do you remember the scene when George is a young boy... And he comes into Mr. Gower's pharmacy, and Mr. Gower is back there compounding some things. And Mr. Gower has told George, take this over to Mrs. So-and-so. And George looks at what Mr. Gower has been mixing, and part of it is arsenic. And George delays going, and finally, Mr. Gower receives a phone call that, his, that her prescription has not, not been delivered. And he looks at George and says, why didn't, didn't you deliver that? And George tells Mr. Gower, 
I know you meant well. I know you're upset because your son was killed in the war. I know you meant well, Mr. Gower, but you fill that with poison. Mr. Gower thought he'd fill the prescription. When you get on an airplane, don't we want to know that that pilot has several hours to earn his wings and has been educated under the feet of Gamaliel as far as pilot training goes? Are we going to trust his sincerity alone? No. That's not how we're going to operate. In no other part of our world do we operate that way until it comes to religion. And so I'll offer two anecdotes for us as we close. First of all, seek after sincerity and truth, not one or the other. Seek after sincerity and truth. Our love for the truth must be sincere. Our love for the truth must be devout. We cannot separate our sincerity for the truth, but we cannot separate our sincerity from the truth or truth from sincerity. It's not either or. It is both and. And then finally, we must submit ourselves to the will of God. The will of God is wide enough, it is long enough, it is deep enough, it is high enough to cover any of our problems. The true test of sincerity is how I will submit to the will of God when I am confronted with it. J.C. Ryle also said this, I charge every reader to remember that God's written word is the only rule of faith and to believe nothing to be true in soul-saving religion which cannot be proved by the plain text of Scripture. I entreat him to read the Bible and make it his only test of truth and error, right and wrong. The true test of sincerity is when I'm confronted with the will of God Will I submit to it? Even when it's different than how I feel. So, sincerity is important. But sincerity is not enough. Faith is not enough. Prayers are not enough. Worship is not enough. Hearing is not enough. And simply being good is not enough. We must submit ourselves to the will of God. The acid test comes when we face the specific that confronts us in our life. Well, thank you for listening, and thank you for being here. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.